Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to a Baseball America podcast, uh, Prospect Handbook Edition. Uh, with you is Matt Eddy and uh, Ben Badler, a combination we haven't hit you with in some time. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold, hard cash nightly to the top-performing players. They've already awarded more than $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter the promo code BAPODCAST, and that'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. And Ben, uh, everybody seems to have... Uh, Yasiel Puig mania these days. Uh, what can you what can you add to the discussion? Yeah, it's it's fascinating what he's been able to do, especially given the. I mean, at any time a, a Cuban player signs, there's there's something unusual going on. It's it's not like you're going in and scouting a player in Southern California. <laughs> who goes to, you know, some high school there or, or you're going to to watch Mark Appel at Stanford or, or even scout a guy in the Dominican Republic who's, you know, 16 years old. It's a, it was a very different and a very especially unusual situation uh, with Puig, everything from, you know, him going from Mexico City to Cancun and then back to Mexico City, you know, switching agents and, and getting his, his residency his permanent residency in, in Mexico so fast and, and then being able to sign so quickly uh, before July 2nd so that he could get uh, around or said so he could avoid the bonus pools, which were about to go into place, which he would have been subject to because he's not 23 years old. He hasn't played in, in a Cuban pro league uh, for, for more than a couple of seasons. Uh, partly because he was suspended in that league for disciplinary reasons. So I think that, you know, when he came out, there were, you know, there were scouts who were not all that high on him. There were guys who saw, you know, some power, some power there. Some guys liked his swing. There were reports, you know, out of Cuba that he was supposed to be a, a guy who ran well for his size, but, when he showed up in Mexico, he, you know, he wasn't in in great baseball shape, which which is understandable. That takes time, and and he had been suspended from playing in Cuba, uh, so he had, you know, he was a guy who had dominated some of the the youth leagues that exist in Cuba. Basically, he was the best player in his age group when he was like 17, 18 years old. But now, when he signed, I think he was like 21, mm-hmm. hadn't played in a year. So even if you were, you know, even if you had somehow seen him play, you know, on video, 
in in Siri Nasty Now, which is the top pro league in Cuba, even that video would have been from game action would have been at least a year old at that point. Plus, he wasn't really a guy who had been at a lot of international tournaments. I think he'd been at one for a, a junior tournament and another with the like the national B team. Uh, and then on top of that, he wasn't like Solaire, for example. He had only played in one international tournament, and he had never played in Cuba's top league. But he, he dominated like the junior leagues there, and and he had also come out, and he was training in the Dominican Republic for for several months. Although he obviously ended up getting permanent residency in in Haiti, which is another story. But he was in he was living and, and training in the Dominican Republic. Teams had all sorts of chances to to watch him and evaluate him play, and. You know, there were some teams that were, you know, kind of lukewarm on him, but a lot of teams really, really liked him to the point where, I mean, he'd be the kind of guy who could go number one overall or certainly, you know, top 10, top five kind of guy Mm -hmm. if he were in the U.S. draft. So when he got his contract, you know, it wasn't a surprise. And and the way that it was structured, you know, I actually think they kind of sold out Solaire and he he got a very team-friendly contract. I, the, just the way that, that it's structured. But with Puig, he was just in Mexico. You know, he, he took a he took a little bit of BP, and he didn't really hit live pitching or, or face or, or run the 60. Not that the 60 is all that important, but he, he didn't really do too much of his workouts. Uh, and all of a sudden, the Dodgers threw all that money at him. <laughs> so I, I think the Dodgers must have known you know, I'm sure they're not throwing $42 million at a guy based on seeing him for a a few BP sessions. I'm sure they do, you know, either, you know, had some connections in Cuba or some kind of, you know, video that they had seen, or, you know, I I know he had dominated the junior leagues in in Cuba. You know, we, we put that in their international review for the Dodgers but you can't really go entirely off that, not for a $40 million decision. So I think that there's a lot more involved in the story behind how Yasiel Puig ended up with the Dodgers that's been told yet and probably ever will be told. Um, It's just a very, Cuba's a very strange market, uh, to put it one way. But obviously, if you've seen him play, approach but I mean you can see the power is clearly there the the speed for a guy his size is pretty incredible he has arm strength you know the bat stays through the zone um you know I, we saw teams you know whether you think Ian you know that pitch was intentional that, that hit him in the face I, I don't know if it was intentional or not but I think teams are going to try to crowd him uh, inside a, a little bit more to get him to chase but I mean, you can see why why the Dodgers scouts were excited about this guy. Yeah, um, you know, based on his two weeks in the major leagues, uh, number one, you know, what's real and what's not real. I mean, he's not going to hit a, for a fourteen hundred OPS, obviously, for any uh, big stretch of time. And and two, how do you compare him with last year's Cuban sensation, Yoana uh, Cespedes of the Athletics? You know, if you were a GM, which one would you rather have? Which player would you rather have? You know, it's 
it, the, one of the things that's tricky about Cuba is that, I mean, we can only make decisions and evaluations based off the information that we have. And at the time that Cespedes came out of Cuba and really until he signed, there was a lot of information on him. I mean, there was that YouTube video that came out and then everybody was talking about, oh, he's this YouTube sensation or whatever. And and that's not, I mean, yeah, the, the video got him some, you know, some clicks on the internet, but everybody knew who this guy was. He was one of the top players in Cuba for years. He'd been in all sorts of major international tournaments. So scouts were able to see him outside of Cuba um, constantly. He was in the Dominican Republic working out. Teams got so many looks at him. Mm-hmm. He was the best player to come out that, to come out of Cuba. There's nobody in there right now, uh, or at least nobody certainly who played on the that World Baseball Classic team. They have you know a second baseman Fernandez. You know some power hitters like Despagne and and Abreu, but mm-hmm. they don't. They still don't have anybody who can compare to you know that the combination of athleticism, uh, offensive ability, and and defensive skills that Cespedes brings to the table. With Puig, I mean, I think that the raw tools that we're seeing, he he probably has Cespedes upside, but I don't know that I would take him over Cespedes just because we have so much more information about Cespedes, so much more history, mm-hmm. so much more track record. I, I think the tools with Puig are impressive. And I think he's certainly proven that, you know, he, he is an elite prospect and, and it's surprising that he has been able, you know, obviously it's a small sample size, but he's proven that he has been able to at least, <laughs> um, you know, dominate major league pitching for for a brief span it looks like he's a guy who belongs in the major leagues right now which is surprising so i i think that right now yeah i, I would take cespedes i feel more comfortable with him but uh the tools with puig are 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 tantalizing yeah okay um uh, moving on to a couple uh power hitters in the minor leagues two guys who factored prominently on this week's prospect hot sheet which you can check out on BaseballAmerica.com, of course. It's a free, free to everybody. Uh, th- those two hitters would be Joey Gallo, third baseman with the Rangers, and uh, Javier Baez, shortstop with the Cubs. Uh, Gallo, in particular, is fascinating. With a couple double headers this week, he hit uh, seven home runs, collected 42 total bases. It's a pretty outstanding week. Uh, does he remind you of anybody, Ben? Not really. I mean, how many guys come along who have, I mean, you could give them, I mean, if you want to be conservative, you could call it 70 power. I I would give it an 80 just, but in just for the raw power and the way that he, the ball jumps off his bat, the way that he can backspin a ball. I mean, can, can you imagine if this guy, I mean, he strikes out like 35, 40% of the time. Can you imagine if this guy was just like, I mean, that's just an extremely low contact rate. Can you imagine if this guy was able to make some adjustments where he was striking out even like, like 20, 25% of the time? I mean, even that is like almost cutting his strikeout rate by like a third. So that's, that takes some major adjustments, but I mean, the guy leads the minor leagues in home runs and he's striking out at a ridiculous rate, but he just has so much power. I don't know that he really reminds me of anybody, but the the skill set there is fascinating. Yeah, I, you know, uh, 
Mike Stanton, uh, Giancarlo Stanton now, made kind of a similar adjustment where his strikeout rate, you know, went down a little bit, at least as he moved up the ladder, and now it's manageable in the major leagues given how much power he hits for when he makes contact. You know, that would be kind of maybe a, a path you'd want to see uh, Gallo emulate. But I don't think he ever struck out quite as much as Gallo does. Yeah, the stand is interesting too because if you actually look at his and his numbers, I remember when he was in Greensboro uh, with the Marlins low A team, his first year out of high school, the first half of the season, he was he was hitting for for power, obviously, but the strikeout rate was really high that first half of the season. And as the, the season went on, it it did decrease. And then as he moved up the ladder, he just he did make adjustments to you know, to his hands set up to his to his swing, and, and that did help him. So, yeah, I mean, I think somebody, we got to look at the second half stats with Gal. I'm assuming they're going to leave him at that level probably all year, but I'm not sure. But if they do, I think the second half numbers on, on him could be telling. I mean, with him being a, a lefty bat too, I think that's something that goes in his favor. So, I mean, maybe he... You want to dream? Maybe it's it's something like a, a Ryan Howard type of skill set guy who just strikes out a, a lot. Howard was also a guy who was a a high strikeout guy in the minors. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, you know he was he was coming out of college too. So it's you know Gallo has some some advantages there. He's probably more advanced than Howard was at the same age, but the 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 raw power is is incredible. If 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 he is able to make adjustments, you know, usually I'd like to see the guy who, who has the ability to put the bat to the ball and then, you know, just naturally get stronger as he ages. But, you know, with Gal, the power is is so, so big (laughs) that if he can just get the strikeouts into a manageable range and hit, you know, 240, something like that in the big leagues, he's going to slug like, 540 because <laughs> he, he has the potential to hit you know just depending on the contact frequency 30 35 maybe 40 home runs yeah i agree um and Baez, did you have you know Baez hit i think he's the second player in florida state league history to hit four home runs in a game um have you heard any interesting um scouting tidbits or your own analysis on uh Baez this season well he's just uh i mean it's another guy with I mean, with Gallo, it's it's just more the the way that the bat comes through and just swinging and missing. I mean, Baez will do his, his share of that, but really with him, it's it's just the you know the bat speed is probably as good, if not better, than anybody else's in the minor leagues. Hmm. You know, the the power is is certainly plus, but with him, it's more the approach. I think it's learning to lay off certain certain pitches that you know laying off those sliders off the plate or, or stop chasing you know board you know not necessarily pitches out of the strike zone but sort of borderline pitches early in the count uh or, or just try to work himself into more favorable hitters counts so if he can make some adjustments uh i, th- I think he's probably already starting to do that but i think that's always going to be something that he's going to uh, you know, sort of struggle to to deal with. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who's going to be putting up, you know, 400 on base percentages or, or anything like that. But, you know, if he can be a guy who hits 280, 290, you know, get on base at, at a reasonable 
clip, I mean, the power is, is certainly there for him to come out. I, I don't think he's going to play shortstop. Yeah, maybe he has a chance um, to, to go there or, or, or third base. But uh, if, if he can make, you know, if a few more adjustments of the play, I think the power is, I mean, clearly that's that's there. But it's it's a matter of whether he can make adjustments. I, I think the talented guys do it, and and obviously the ones. Then there's some guys who, you know, Felix Pa is is a guy who was obviously never able to to make those adjustments. So sometimes it it never works out for guys. You could write a whole book just about Cubs players uh, for whom that applies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Cubs fans would want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... Miguel Sano got promoted to Double A this week. Uh, here's a guy who hit oh 330 with 16 home runs and a couple months in the Florida State League. Uh, and if you know anything about that league, that is a very uncommon performance. <laughs> what uh, should prospect watchers and Twins fans expect at Double A and going forward? Yeah, I would say watch what. I, I don't. I don't think Double A is going to be a, a challenge for him. I think. You know, usually that is the big jump for for a lot of guys. To me, I I, th- I see the big jump, bigger jump for him is, uh, you know, Triple A and then then the big leagues. I, I think he's still going to hit a lot in Double A. The power is, you know, as much if not more than anybody else's. And then yeah, the other thing with him is that he, you know, he'll he'll chase pitches too. He'll he'll swing and miss. But he he also seems to have some you know a, a, a more patience at the plate than than somebody like Baez does. Mm-hmm. So you know if, if he is able to make those adjustments, you know whereas Baez, you're looking at you know a ceiling probably well, not a, I shouldn't say a ceiling, but you know realistically, you know if, if it all comes together for him, you're probably looking at like a 330, 340 on base kind of guy with all the value really coming from his power. Whereas with Sano. If he's hitting, he might be like a 260, 270 hitter in the big leagues, but you know he might be drawing 80 walks a year, and and the power is there. I mean, guys are going to want to pitch around him. He could be a 30, 35 plus home run hitter if the contact frequency improves. I still think he needs to make some adjustments there. But I mean, this is I, he's only <laughs> he he hasn't really had to make those adjustments yet so i mean i mean i'm sure you've, you've seen with him the the raw power is is just phenomenal and it's it's not like he's just a you know gallows kind of a a, a hacker up there whereas sano uh, you know there there's some you know semblance of, of an approach there it seems like yeah and you say triple a is kind of a separator is that just because he'll be facing more um more off-speed stuff pitchers were pitching him backward yeah, I think, you know, the difference, I think, you know, JJ and I were talking about this on, on one of the other podcasts, I think, and, it, you know, double A is a big jump for guys, and you start to see, you know, more consistent velocity at that level, but mm-hmm. especially once you get into, you know, th- there's a lot of guys in triple A who are kind of up and down guys, I mean, just fringe, you know, mop-up guys in the big league level, but they're there for a reason. They they have big league experience. Uh, they you know either have big stuff, don't necessarily know how to use it, or, or a lot of guys are you know they they know how to at least spot their their stuff and they can keep hitters off balance. And then you know once you get into the bullpen too, you, you know like the the relievers in Double A, 
I mean, you you have sometimes you have like a closer, a guy like a Carter Capsule you'll find there, um, somebody like that, but who's you know who's thrown really hard and who is a legitimate major league prospect. But a lot of times it's you know more organizational filler guys, guys who aren't really prospects, maybe some you know side armors, guys like that. But once you get to AAA, you know teams keep major league ready relievers. In AAA, there's a lot of guys there who have major league experience. So I think that that's, you know, there, there are guys who can make that jump from AA to the big leagues, but the I think that the value of AAA experience is, is a little bit underrated. Yeah, I do too. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the relief prospects at AAA. Like, I bet every organization probably has three to five right-handed relief types who are on 40-man rosters just because they throw a good slider. You know, right. and these are the guys to know is going to be facing, you know, late in games, late in close games anyway, at AAA. So that will be, uh, like you say, a big test. Um, okay, and then we'll we'll close out this edition of the podcast with um, a discussion of uh, Nick Castellanos, who has uh, really torn up AAA lately uh, with Toledo. I believe he's hitting like 300, 400, 500 over the past two months uh, with a 25 to 25 walk to strikeout ratio, which is uh, pretty amazing when you consider he's the youngest position player in the International League. Um, so I, I wondered, between Castellanos and the Rays, Will Myers, probably the top two position prospects in the International League this year, who would you take for your team if you could have one of them? Yeah, I mean, those two, you got two guys who were probably, I don't know where the Tigers would put them right now, but I could see both those guys. I could see Zach Wheeler coming up soon. You know, I would still take Will Myers. I like his powers. I like, and I think that he's 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 still finding. We talked about it before. He's still finding that blend of, uh, you know, taking that that selective approach at the plate versus and 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 being able to to use the whole field. Versus, you know, just trying to hit home runs sometimes. Uh, you know, I think he showed he showed he has that approach early in his career. He showed it at times uh, where when he has the best of both worlds, I think he's just an, an absolute dominant offensive player. And I, I think that you, the, what you've seen from him, from Myers, you know, in the, in the last month is, is definitely an encouraging sign mm-hmm. after what he was doing you know, the, the first month of the season, he was just kind of lukewarm. I would still take him over Castellanos, but, I mean, Castellanos, you just said it, Matt. It, the, the, what he's done over the last month is such an improvement from where he was before. The guy is just, when he goes up there, and it's not like a conventional hitting approach. Right. But it, and he's, you know, he's 6'4", he's got these long arms. He's up there. He's got no batting gloves on, which I love. Um, but Myers too, I believe. Is he? T- oh, well, then or that least, makes it close. Yeah. At least he did back with Burlington, you know, back in the day. Yeah, I, <laughs> I did. I did actually see a recent picture with uh, Castellanos wearing batting gloves. So I hope oh. that's not a thing. But uh, that maybe that's why I'd lean towards Myers. But uh, <laughs> no, but but yeah, you said. I mean, Castellanos. I mean, the approach is is improving. I mean, there was more swing and miss with him, even though he was he was hitting for a high average. I remember in the Florida State League, he was right. hitting over like 400, 
pretty much every level he's ever been at. You know, last year when he got to Erie to Double A, I mean, he was a twenty-year-old, so he didn't. He, he kind of struggled there in the second half of the season. But I mean, again, he's twenty years old there. Um, most twenty-year-olds are either you know sophomores in college or or they're in the low A. Yep. So and for him, dealing with a position switch too, we should we should note. Yeah, that's no, that's that's another good point. So for him, I mean, we, I was at, I was even surprised that they sent him. I mean, the Tigers tend to you know be a little more on the aggressive side, but I was a little surprised that they even sent him to Triple A because I mean, you look at his Double A numbers last year; it was two sixty four, two ninety six, three eighty two. I mean, that's not <laughs> that's not the sign of a guy who seems like he's figured out that level. Nope. He was, that was 79 games. It's not like he was, he was just called up for a month and, you know, struggled. He was there for a long time. But so for him to come up to AAA and dominate the way he has and, and make the improvement to his hitting approach and his, his contact rate and, you know, the power also, I mean, the guy is 6'4". He's, he's a big, big dude. <laughs> uh, the power is starting to come out too. So I don't know, maybe, maybe the position switch did help him, uh, you know, focus less on having to stay at, at third base. Maybe that, that helped. I don't know, but he, he certainly is making adjustments to the point where, you know, at, at the beginning of the year, I would have said, yeah, absolutely. Will Myers over Nick Castellanos. I love Nick Castellanos, uh, but I, I, I wouldn't have thought it was, you know, much of a hard decision. At this point, I'd still take Myers, but I think the gap is closed considerably. Yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued by Castellanos. You know, especially if if he were to move back to third base or get traded to an organization who would put him back at third base. You know, you're not looking at Adrian Beltre here, but even if he's no. a 40, 45 defender, I mean, you know, the the gap between his runs created and the runs he's going to allow on defense is still going to be substantial, probably more so than it would be in left field. And and even with that, even if even if the Tigers bring him up, I mean, he's probably a better defensive third baseman than Cabrera. I don't know if they'd want to, <laughs> you know, this is the MVP. I don't know if you'd want to mess with that. You could you could probably just plug Castellanos away in, you know, one of the corner outfield spots and and be fine. But I mean, that's another. I mean, that's something that they probably could consider. I don't think they'd want to have to go back and and do it but i do think he could be i mean if miguel cabrera is is a major league third baseman i, I don't i mean i think it's i i don't think he can really play there they're just sort of forcing him in there but there's i don't think he would be those the worst third baseman in the big leagues i realize that's you know you know a, a big compliment i'm giving him there but <laughs> i think he could be he could at least be manageable there for a little bit but I don't know. At, at this point, now that he's in a corner outfield spot and his his bat clearly seems like it's good enough to play there, I, I don't know that they necessarily mess with it. Yeah, and like you mentioned, you take a guy who has a natural feel to hit, which Castellanos appears to to have. He's hitting 302 this year, 314 for his career. You know, like you said, those guys tend to develop power just as they become a little more selective and, and learn what they can uh, turn on. Uh, for example, the examples I always love are someone like Andrew McCutcheon hit 30 home runs last year. I think in AAA he hit nine, ten in a season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe Maurer probably hit ten in his entire minor league career. You know. Yeah. So, are you look. I mean, we're talking about Cabrera. I mean, he was. I mean, people yeah. expected him to hit for power, but he was. 
he was not a big power hitter in, in the minor leagues. Bobby Abreu was, uh, you know, the same way. A lot of these guys, yeah, I mean, it's just they're young and they're that's what you, you know, you're not supposed to have, you know, Joey Gallo or, or Miguel Sano power when you're, you know, 18, 19 years old. Those guys are just kind of physical freaks. <laughs> I mean, once you, if you're just a younger guy, you just naturally through working out, gaining weight, you just gain strength. And, and like you said, it's not just getting stronger where the power comes. It's it's learning to to turn on certain pitches, learning how to handle certain pitches so that, you know, you see some guys who, who have that huge raw power and BP, but then in games either it's, it's you know, they, they struggle making contact or they, they turn into, you know, singles and, and doubles hitters in a game. But once they do make that adjustments, then, yeah, that those power numbers take off, whether it's, you know, more strength or it's just learning a, a better approach that allows the power to show up in the games. Yep. Work smarter, not harder. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I lied. Actually, we're going to close with Zach Wheeler. So he was something, he was someone you brought up in our, our pre-show discussion. So Zach Wheeler go. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds, uh, you know, he's, <laughs> Uh, every time you know this time of year, prospects seem to um, magically, or I don't know what the right <laughs> word is, but become big league ready uh, by like mid to late June. I, I don't know why that could possibly be, but uh, I think that's probably going to be the case for Zach Wheeler. Um, we saw with uh, Garrett Cole, although he he did Cole did struggle early in the year, so there's some. You know, legitimacy there. Obviously, uh, I think Will Myers is probably on the cusp of learning whatever he needs to uh, to learn. Although he's also another guy who you know didn't get off to a blazing start in in April. But uh, yeah, you know, Wheeler with him, the stuff is is outstanding. Pitching in that park in Las Vegas, I'm sure he's well. I'm sure he doesn't mind pitching in uh, or <laughs> being in Vegas, but uh, pitching in Vegas is another story. But um, the, the stuff I, I really like his stuff. The the concern for me with him is uh, the command. I, I I've always liked Harvey more than him, which you know isn't a knock on Zach Wheeler. Matt Matt Harvey's an excellent you know frontline starter, but uh, I, I've always felt like Harvey had the stuff and the command, whereas Wheeler, uh, you know I I think the the stuff is certainly there. I don't think it's like terrible command where he, he doesn't know where the ball is going but I, I, I'm not sure that he does have the command to come in and dominate immediately like Harvey I don't know what, how do you see those two guys stacking up well I, I think Wheeler can command the fastball well enough to get ahead of hitters mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure he's gonna have that slider that Harvey has to put them away at this stage I think continued uh, development of crispness on his breaking ball is going to be the key. Because uh, Harvey came up, and he's and he's backfooting left-handed hitters with 90 mile an hour sliders. You know, as in his right. first start in the major leagues, Wheeler doesn't have that. So, I, I don't think getting ahead of hitters is going to be a challenge. But you know, I think pr- putting them away at least initially will be something he'll have to learn how to do. Yeah, he had that uh, when he was coming up with the Giants. He was more of well, of a curveball guy, but it, it seems like he's going more to more of the slider now too. Yeah, I think he learned that in the Cal League, as I recall. He told me um, 
he was looking for something to get inside on left-handed hitters, and his slider kind of developed from him trying to throw a cutter in on lefties in that league. So the slider is relatively new to his repertoire. He still throws the curve and uh, the changeup, of course. But I mean, you look, you grade out Harvey, and you're looking at, you know, if you if you really like him, you could go 70 fastball and 70 slider. Yeah, well, that's and the thing with Harvey, like you said, it's he has he has those weapons against left-handed uh, hitters, and and he's also got that. It's a pretty firm changeup, but he he's mm-hmm. thrown some really. I mean, that's really become a, a legitimate weapon for him. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not quite as much separation as you'd normally want from the fastball. I mean, it's it's probably in the high 80s, I think, but it's it's got some life to it. It's got some some sink, some fade. It bottoms out on on guys, and it's got that uh, horizontal break when it's it's really on. Um, does does Wheeler? You know, you talked about him trying to go to that slider to try to combat uh, left-handed hitters. I mean, a lot of for a lot of guys, it's it's the changeup for for right-handed pitchers that they need to keep those those uh, opposite-handed hitters off balance. With 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 Harvey, it seems like he has that changeup, but also the slider can work that way for him. Some guys go to to a cutter. I mean, do you see a way for him to to get lefties out? Do you see much of a, a changeup or or another pitch that can can work for him against those guys? Yeah, I think uh, for him, he'll need to to just gain confidence in it in the major leagues because I I don't imagine it's it's a go to pitch in in the in the PCL <laughs> in Vegas. You know, you, you leave one up to a left handed hitter and, you, and it can go a long way. I think right. I think we want to. If I were the Mets, I would want to see him throw that in the major leagues, especially when he gets ahead and batters are not, uh, batters are not looking for it necessarily. Yeah. it seems like a lot of guys, like we were talking about too, with him going to that, uh, going to the slider. It seems like there's a lot of guys who even have good curveballs who just kind of morphed into slider guys more so than throwing the curveball. I think it's, I think it just depends on the organization or, or the pitcher, but I think some guys just think it's, it's easier. It's an easier pitch to command. It's yep. it's an easier. Sometimes umpires get fooled by the curveball, or at least that's what the pitchers think. Um, <laughs> but it's you know, you see, like Clayton Kershaw has an an amazing curveball, but now he just you know he mostly throws sliders. Obviously, it works great for him because he has a great slider too. But there's so many guys who it just seems like have gone from you know the more conventional fastball, curveball, changeup repertoire to being more of a slider guy, even if they do have that feel to spin the curveball, just because it seems like, especially, just, it's an easier pitch. The slider just seems like an easier pitch to command uh, than the curveball. Yeah, that reminds me, and this will this will be the last thing. Um, reminds me of a great quote in the Sports Illustrated baseball preview in the in the Tom Verducci story. I believe it was um, Jim Hickey, the Rays pitching coach, said it's easier to expand the strike zone horizontally with you know implying sliders and cutters than it is. To, to expand the zone up and down. And I think that's probably a big reason why so many pitchers and so many pitching coaches favor the slider. Uh, I hope uh, Matt Moore doesn't become a slider guy. <laughs> okay. Did you have anything else you wanted to add, Ben? No, I mean, I think uh, I think those three guys, like, like we talked about, I think those three guys will probably be up, uh, you know, very soon. I think they're not far away from being uh, – Turning that magical corner in in mid to uh, late June, early July that that prepares them for uh, the big leagues. So, 
Um, yeah, I, I, I think for, you know, for, for fantasy purposes, I mean, if I, I would probably take uh, Myers ahead of those guys, but I think, uh, I think Wheeler is, is coming up pretty soon. Yeah. Oh, the downside with Wheeler from a Roto standpoint, you have a, a greatly reduced chance to get wins. Just look at Matt Harvey's one loss record. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> okay. So for Ben Badler, I'm Matt Eddy and thanks for downloading and listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.